Morning, friends. We're going to continue in this study through the book of Revelation that at times just seems so bizarre, filled with imagery, pictures that we often don't think about. And I, I thought maybe I was having a vision this week. I saw this dragon, and then the bodies of those that were slain by it hanging in the trees, and the bones of the dead all over the ground. And then flashes of lightning and smoke coming up from the earth. And I thought, is this revelation? And I realized it's just your neighbor's Halloween decorations. <laughs> and so as bizarre as these pictures often sound when we go through the book of Revelation, remember, our neighbors are decorating their houses with these things. And so they're, they're there to tell a story. They're put out in front of the house to tell a story behind these signs. And so here in Revelation 12, again, John's going to say he sees a sign. And remember, in the book of Revelation, he says he sees things that look like, I mean, it's an example of or a picture of or signs of. And so these are symbols of. And at times he says, I saw this exactly. And this is to be taken literally. And so today we're going to be looking at signs. Something that he sees in the heavens that's a vivid picture that's there to tell a reality behind it. We use pictures and descriptions all the time in our world. And so these are the pictures and descriptions that John is using to tell the story of true reality, the truest reality. And so if this is your first morning with us, I'd encourage you, you want to grab the very first message where we began before we even opened up the book in Revelation 1, because it helps understand what is this book, what kind of literature is this literature, because it's different than historical literature, it's different than poetry and song, it's its unique genre in which we have to learn how to approach. And so grab that first week. But if you've been trucking along with us, we're going to Revelation chapter 12. I don't know if you've ever even read this chapter. Maybe you've never even heard it before. And so what I want to do is just read the whole thing to you, because it's unforgettable. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, or crowns. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and of his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. 
And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle, so she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Good morning. (laughs) That's crazy. So there's characters in this story that is a sign to tell the reality of the world in which you and I live in to help us have an understanding of what's really going on, the source of true evil, the source of true destruction and of death. And this is to tell us how it is that we experience this dragon. Now, we're going to go through these characters because if you don't know who the characters are, then the story's not going to make any sense. And the purpose of this story is not to cause you to be afraid, but is to cause you to be awake, to be alert, to understand what is really going on. And so this first character that we we must understand who it is, is this red dragon, a sign that he sees that represents something else. So who is this red dragon? It's Satan. I love it. I love when the Bible just tells you, right? Like this dragon, the serpent of old, the deceiver of the whole world who accuses the people of God day and night, the serpent. So what comes to mind immediately when you hear the serpent? What story in your Bible? Garden of Eden, right? So like way back in the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 1, God creates the world, creates humanity, puts them in a garden. And in that garden... There's Adam and Eve, and they're addressed by a serpent. And what does the serpent want to do? Deceive. So that serpent, the deceiver of the world, is there in the very beginning, wanting to to destroy and cause havoc and chaos of the things that God loves. We have to understand about the dragon from the very beginning is that he's waging war against the things that God loves. If God loves it, he hates it. If they love God, he hates them. Now, who is this woman that he wants to devour, destroy, kill, eliminate, remove from the face of the planet? There's a few options. Fortunately, the Bible, I think, tells us as well. There's one other reference to a woman, a people group. There's the sun and the moon and the stars. And it's all the way, again, back in Genesis. 
Genesis chapter 37, we find the story of Joseph. One of the phrases of Joseph, he was the dreamer, right? He had a couple dreams and he shared them with his brothers. Didn't go so well. And then he had another dream and he shared it with his whole family. This is Genesis chapter 37. Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob. The name for Jacob is Israel. Israel, Jacob, is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. Then you have Isaac and then Jacob. And then the 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so this is one of the dreams. Chapter 37, verse 9. Then he, that's Joseph, dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Which answer is yes, you'll come to Egypt later on and you're going to bow before me. But Jacob interprets the dream for us. Joseph says, I had a dream, stars, moon, sun. And Jacob says, that's talking about me and your mom and your brothers. You're talking about the family of Israel, the Jewish people. And so in Revelation 12, when he says that there's a dragon, the serpent from all the way in the beginning of Genesis, who's looking to devour this woman who has the moon and the sun and the 12 stars, that's a picture of Israel. That there is a reality of, of war in which the dragon will leverage whoever and whatever, whenever, to attempt to devour the people of Israel. And you can just catalog all the times that a government, that an individual, that a society set out its plans to remove the Jewish people from the face of the earth. And so you can think of Egypt, story of which Pharaoh goes and destroys every male child that was born. That was his attempt to wipe off the face of the earth, the Jewish people. You can think of the story of Esther. Esther was a Jewish woman in exile. There was a man named Haman. And Haman hated this man named Mordecai who was a Jew. And he had a plan that he tried to use the government to eliminate every Jew so that they would not be in the world. And yet Esther, for such a time as this, courageously stood up, thwarted his plans, and preserved the people of God. And you can see throughout history, through many empires, Assyrian, Babylonian, Medo-Persians, the Roman Empire, you think of Hitler. As the history turns into today, a group of people that have the charter to destroy and eliminate the Jewish people from the earth. I have a friend whose family works in kind of a tech science industry, and seeing just the the work of what's happening in Israel, that a group of people would come in and just slaughter people, put their children to death, kidnap people. He just simply said, how is this happening? Like we live in a modern world, don't we? Where does such evil come from? Surely we've evolved beyond this. He doesn't know the story of the dragon, which means he's not living in reality. He doesn't understand that there is an adversary to God 
that is after the people of God. And in parts, the reason he's after the people of God is because they're the people of the promise. Now get this, God wants to build hope in you, wants to build faith in you. In order to do that, he makes promises to you. And if he's found faithless to his promises, will you continue to trust God? No. So here's the thing. God actually tells us the game plan in which he's going to bring salvation. And part of that game plan was that he's going to, through the family of Abraham, bring a Messiah, means the promised one, a savior that will redeem us from our predicament, that will forgive us of our sins, that will bring salvation to the world through this people group. Now, where does God's enemy attack then? The game plan. So if God has to be faithful to bring a child from this group of people, and if he can thwart that, if he can destroy this group of people, then God is found to be faithless. And so when God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to make with you an everlasting covenant, you know what everlasting means? Everlasting! So the adversary says, well, if, if I can thwart that, if I can destroy that, if I can prove that God is faithless, then I win. And it's amazing today that Israel is preserved. There's a people group that practice their faith in the land in which they received these blessings and these words. They received the promises of God. It's amazing that when we open up the scriptures and we talk about God's work with Israel, it's not like, well, who's Israel? Oh, they were this people many moons ago. They're like the Aztecas or the Mayans. They were a group, a religious group, and they did these sorts of things. I know you can't even imagine it today. No, this is a people group that's still existing in the place of the promise. And that is evidence of God's faithfulness to his covenant. It's unbelievable. The existence of Israel today shows the existence of God's faithfulness. Now, this dragon says he's trying to devour the woman at every stop. And you can just see that in the historical line of Israel's experience with many, many empires. Now, it culminates where this dragon is standing over the woman, ready to devour her child when he comes. You know what that's a picture of? Christmas. Now, I don't know if you're... If your nativity scene comes with a dragon, <laughs> if not, maybe you want to grab one. But this dragon who's been pursuing and trying to thwart God's plan is there at the, at the moment in which Messiah, this is the one he's been after, Messiah, to devour him. And what do we know from history? The moment she gives birth, what does Herod do? He sends out an edict to kill every boy two years and younger. Why? He's trying to devour the promise of God. It's just there in your histories. It's like, where does this come from? Oh, you don't know the reality, the story of an adversary that is trying to devour the promises of God. And God has deposited his promises in a people. And so he's trying to devour the people of the promise. And what we see in Revelation 12 is that God protects the woman. He has a place prepared for her to keep her safe. And so that plan is enacted and the child is saved. And this is a picture of the work of Jesus Christ, that he is born, 
preserved. Think about Jesus' whole ministry, all the times in which they're trying to kill Jesus, throw him off a cliff, kill Jesus, trying to destroy him for his teachings, ultimately to be on the cross, to kill Jesus. And there, the kingdom is one. God's kingdom is one. And the kingdom of his adversary is defeated there on Calvary. And it says that he was then caught up, ascended to his throne. This is a picture of his life, death, and resurrection to take his rightful place on the throne. And this dragon who's been pursuing this woman and then unsuccessful to eat this child and devour it is then thrown out of heaven. And in his anger, knowing that his time is short, he turns his attention to her other offspring her children, who follow the ways of Jesus Christ and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who's that? That's us. That's the people who follow the ways of Jesus. And so Revelation 12 is a sobering text to wake us up to a reality that we often forget, that there's an adversary of God who hates God, and he hates everything that God loves, which means he hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your family. He hates the fact that you follow Jesus. He hates your generosity. He hates your forgiveness. All the ways that you practice the ways of Jesus, he hates and for many Christians, we don't even have a category for this. And so we just go throughout life like, man, that was just a hard week, wasn't it? And I'm just fighting with my spouse. Where'd that argument come from? How come they're always trying to dredge up my past? How come they're never forgiving? And you think, oh, you don't know about a battle that's going on. Like Peter tells us, your enemy is like a lion looking for someone to devour and we can't be ignorant of him. Now I said it before, I'll say it again. This is not to cause you to be afraid. This is to cause us to be awake. And one of the things we need to be awake in two is this. What are the devil's schemes? We don't want to be ignorant of how does he try to wage war on us. As he wages war on the woman trying to consume it and then wages war on her offspring, how is he trying to wage war? Well, it tells us in Revelation 12, first and foremost in his name, meaning Satan. Satan means slanderer. This is someone who's trying to defame somebody, drag their name through the mug. And who is he primarily trying to slander? It's the name of God. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. God's not going to provide for you. God can't be trusted. God's not worth it. God won't fully forgive you. That's slander. And that's a scheme of the devil that many people are believing. He's also, he says here in 12, that he's the accuser of the brothers and sisters. He's the accuser of believers, that he, he, he brings into God's attention all the things that we've ever done wrong. And he accuses us before God. It says, this day and night, he stood before God and accuses the brethren so that God would never forget what we've done. And so he shows up maybe before Jesus and says, oh man, did you forget what Thomas did? Let me remind you, when he was 12. Let me remind you when he was 15. 
Let me remind you when he was in college. Let me remind you of the perverted thoughts he's had. Let me just remind you of the hate that's in his heart. Let me remind you of the ways that he's lied to people. Let me remind you of the ways that he's cheated. Let me remind you of the ways that he doesn't deserve to be a pastor. Let me remind you of all the things that you've done. Remind you of the, the lies that you've told. Let me remind you of your adultery. Let me remind you of your abortion. Let me remind you of all these things. And it accuses you before God. And here's the scary thing. When he does that to me, he's not lying. When he does that to you, he's not lying. Now, he's a deceiver. He's the father of lies. And he drums up a whole bunch of lies. But when he accuses me, yeah, he's just using all the stories of me. What do you do? Like, what an adversary. Is there any hope of defeating him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Revelation 12 tells us that they have conquered, the believers have conquered this dragon. It's awesome. You have actually nothing to fear this morning if you know Revelation 12. You've conquered this dragon by three things. The, the, the blood of the lamb, the word of your testimony, and loving not their lives even unto death. This first question is, okay, when does this battle in heaven happen in which Satan is kicked out? When he says, rejoice, O heaven, but earth, the devil went down to Georgia looking for a soul to steal. He's coming for you. When did that happen? Well, I actually believe that, that Jesus gives us a clue on this one. Back in Luke chapter 10, he sends out his disciples and by the authority of Jesus Christ, who's come onto the earth to defeat this serpent of old. He sends out his disciples, and they're going to tread over all of these demons, those whom he swept down from heaven. So chapter 10, verse 17, they returned to Jesus. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Like they have to obey us. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I think it's just a little picture into when Satan is, is being kicked out of heaven, where he doesn't get to stand there and accuse you every single day. I think this is what Jesus Christ did when he came and disarmed the devil. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, talking about the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning like you haven't been, the sin in your life hadn't been cut out yet. You're dead in your trespasses. Your sin hasn't been cut out yet. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all the things that we're accused of doing that we did. He forgave. Man, he forgave you. It's so good. By, for, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He took all those accusations, which are true of you or true of me, and he nailed it to that cross so they wouldn't work anymore against you. He nailed it to the cross. And then check this out, verse 15. This is what he did. This is what the work of Jesus. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in, in him. 
So when Jesus Christ came in his life, death, and resurrection on the cross of Jesus Christ, he took all the faults that we had, the ammunition of the devil against us, and he took it away. He took it away. And he disarmed them. It means he emptied their arsenal. There's actually no arsenal for them to use against those who are in Christ Jesus. They're just shooting blanks. Pow, 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 pow. They're just blanks now against us. They can actually do us no harm if we trust in the Lord. This is what, the, go back to Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. This is what he means by, they have conquered him, not by our own works, not by our own might, not by our own intellect. No, we conquer the accuser, the slanderer, the deceiver by the works of Jesus Christ. That's what it means by the blood of the lamb. If you've been in Revelation, the lamb is Jesus Christ. He's this perfect sacrifice. By the blood of the lamb is how you conquer the accuser in your life. By the blood of the lamb. This is why Paul says, this is Romans chapter 8. All the, all the works of Christ, he's been cataloging for seven chapters. And then in chapter 8, he turns and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation, no accusation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus or in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He's freed you from it. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If the accuser shows up in your life and tries to dredge up your past, you remember Romans 8. There's no condemnation for me. I'm in Christ. Romans 8.33, Paul goes on, who shall bring any charge, accusation against God's elect, his children, those who belong to him, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Not the devil. He's been disarmed. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. He's advocating for us every moment of the day. If Satan could even get into the heaven's throne room now and bring up an accusation against you, against me, if you even had the privilege of showing up in the throne room, or the ability, and he says, don't you forget, Jesus, let me tell you about James, don't you forget what Kim did, don't you forget what Thomas did, you know what our advocate, I think, would say? Go to hell. Like, seriously. Like, you don't get to talk about my kids that way. You don't talk to me about those who belong to me that way. For I have forgiven them. Don't shame them. Don't guilt them. They belong to me. They've been forgiven. And I call them mine. Beloved. Washed. Get away from me, Satan. For all your accusations have been nailed to the cross. And you've been disarmed. You have no place here anymore. You've been thrown out of heaven. Now woe to you, earth, for the devil has come down, knowing his time is short. And he will use his arsenal against us. And he will try to attack us. And so we must stand in the blood of the Lamb, the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. If you've never received Christ on your behalf, those accusations still stand. And to receive Jesus Christ is to receive his grace that takes all those accusations and crucifies them at Calvary so that the adversary has nothing 
against you. He cannot shame you or guilt you. He has been disarmed. So that's what it means to be conquering him by the blood of the lamb, by the work of Jesus Christ. Next it says, and they conquered him by the word of their testimony. Like we're, we're, we're testifying to this reality, the work of Jesus Christ in our life. We're giving testimony to our faith in Jesus Christ, not in our own strength. In our testimony, we're saying, this is God's work and activity in my life. One of, the, one of my favorite stories in this is from John chapter 9, when the adversaries against Jesus are trying to slander his name. And they're saying that he's demon-possessed, he's a sinner, and Jesus, in the midst of that, is going out and doing all of these works of compassion to show that the kingdom of God has come into people's lives. And one of these people he comes upon is someone who was born blind, and he heals him. And everyone's upset that Jesus was so kind to this man to bring his sight back. And so they go after this man, and they try to slander Jesus with this man. We know he's a sinner. How did he do this? Why did he do this? And you can just hear their, their animosity towards Jesus and this man. And this, this man who was blind, now he, he, now he can see. He just suddenly just disarms the whole assault by saying this. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Here's what I do know. Here's my testimony. I was blind. Jesus came into my life. And now I see. You see, I was a man who was, who was very violent. I was a drunkard. I was angry. I was perverted. I wasn't generous. I wouldn't forgive. And then Jesus came into my life. And this is what I do now. I, I'm generous. I'm kind. I'm humble. I'm slow to speak. I'm careful with my words. I build up people's lives instead of destroying it. You know what I mean? You just tell your story. This is God's activity in my life. And then the serpent, this dragon, is silenced. And the last thing, we conquered him because they love not their lives even unto death. It means that the most precious thing wasn't to preserve their own life or their own comforts. They found a greater treasure, the kingdom of heaven, God himself. And so even taking their lives wasn't the worst thing that could be done. And so this dragon is completely defeated, for death itself has been taken from his arsenal, for Jesus has brought life. And so those who follow Jesus Christ need to know that there is an adversary who hates God who hates you. But that's not to cause you to be afraid. For this foe is defeated by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and loving our lives not even unto death. Like, what can he do to us? Nothing! Let me talk to you about your past. It doesn't work. Jesus has forgiven me. Yeah, well, what has God done in your life? Let me tell you. Well, the worst thing, I could take your life. That's not the worst thing. Jesus gives me life. You have no weapon against those who are in Christ. And let me just ask you this, though, friends. Where is he bothering you? Like, he knows his time is short, and man, he loves to aggravate. Where is he showing up in your life? Think about this. What is his weaponry? He's a slanderer. Don't trust God. God's not going to care for you. God's not good. Where does he slander the name of God in your life so you don't go to him? Where does he accuse you still? Like the Lord has forgiven you, but where does he accuse you so that you don't forget? Like I can't believe you're here on Sunday. Seriously? 
You think you're a good Christian, you're going to show up here on Sunday and smile as though everything's fine. You are just fighting with your wife in the car on the way over here. And you're going to show up at church. You don't belong here. That's the voice of the devil. And you need to hear your father's voice. He says, oh, it's so good to see you. I'm so glad you gathered in the community of, people, of believers. If you'd ask me to forgive you, I'll forgive you right now and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Absolutely. I love you. Where's the accuser showing up in your relationships, in your marriage? Don't forgive him. Don't forgive her. Don't forget what they've done. You say, shut up. You do not have permission to speak into my life lies and slander and accusations, even against my spouse, for you have been defeated by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You need to tell that dragon, he has no right to speak into your life. For we know that our battle is real, but our weaponry is real too. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll end with this. Ephesians chapter 6, talking about this reality, says, finally, the sermon's over. Finally. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. That's what you were thinking. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How are you going to defeat this serpent? With the strength of your own might? No. Your own cleverness? No. By the strength of the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And you know his schemes, slander, deceit, accusations. When you see those things in your life, you know he's messing with you. You may defeat and stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, if you don't have a Revelation 12 understanding that there really is an adversary, a devil, and he has a host of fallen angels with him who are demonic, if you say, that's just ridiculous, that's not the source of evil, he doesn't exist, it doesn't mean that you remove the dragon from your life. For you then will demonize a group of people and you will fault them for all the evils in your life. Unless you know that your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of this present darkness. For it is not people we are at war with, but the evil behind all of this, as described in Revelation 12. And so our joy in our testimony is to tell the world that this dragon exists and he is defeated. And those who are in Christ have no fear of him for we have been set free. We've been set free. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for Revelation 12. Father, it is, it is vivid. It is sobering. It can bring uneasiness to us, Lord, but I just pray for every man and woman in this room to know that this is why Jesus Christ came, to defeat the works of the devil, the one who even held death itself, to remove all of his accusations from our life and to set us free into eternal life. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would have this in our minds as we go out today, that we would be aware of his schemes and that we would claim the name of Jesus Christ and his truth in our life at every single moment. Help us to guard our hearts and mind in Christ this week and the things that Christ has said about us so that the voice of our adversary would disappear. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.